is Nicole Whitney, News for the Soul, life-changing talk radio from the uplifting to the unexplained. You are now tuned in to Nicole Whitney's News for the Soul highlights, life-changing spotlights she has shared with leading teachers in the human consciousness field since 1997. Go now to newsforthesoul.com to hear the full shows totally free. That's newsforthesoul.com. We are live April 11th, 2017. It is uh, 10 a.m. Pacific, 11 Mountain Time, I do believe, and that's the time we had pegged away for a very special hour on News for the Soul, especially in times that we are in right now. We've talked to him many times over the years, and this, I believe, is going to be one of the most important chats because of what's going on in our world today. Greg Braden, New York Times best-selling author, internationally known as a pioneer in bridging science and spirit, which is one of the favorite places we like to hang out. Following a successful career as a computer geologist in the 1970s, he worked as a senior liaison with the U.S. Air Force Space Command during the Cold War years in the 80s. In the 90s, he became, um, started, I think that's when he started exploring the spirituality side as well, and the two come together in a very most interesting way for high mountain villages, remote monasteries, and forgotten texts, and started connecting the dots, and that's where it gets really exciting. Today, we're going to talk about his latest book as well, Resilience of the Heart. I understand it's the revised edition of The Turning Point, so we're going to find out all about that, and find out well, I'm most excited about checking in and tuning in with uh, Greg's exciting perspective, conscious perspective on what the heck is going on in our world of extremes right now. Greg Braden, welcome back to News for the Soul. Hey, Nicole, it's so good to hear your voice. I'm absolutely thrilled to be with you today and thrilled to be with our audience. Uh, thank you for inviting me back. <laughs> we have, we've done this a number of times, and I, when I saw the, the list came uh, into my office of my media interviews that I was going to have this week, I saw your name. Big smile on my face because we always have a really great program, and I appreciate you very much. Thank you. Oh, right back at you. We are very much appreciating uh, the piece that you bring to the big picture, and holy moly. I don't even know where to start today. I can't. I, it's you, been a few years since we've uh, talked. But you know, can I can world. I start? Can I can I get us started yeah. today? Yeah. <laughs> yes. I, I'm going to just share with our listeners. I had a really interesting interview <clears throat> recently, another another uh, radio station, and the first thing the interviewer said to me, he didn't say, "Welcome to the show. How are you?" Anything like that. He said, "Greg, why can't you stick with one topic like everybody else?" <laughs> He said, you are all over the map. He said, are you talking about science, spirituality, about DNA, about ancient history, about earth magnetics, about climate change? He goes, what are you talking about? And I said, you know, every one of those things that you've just mentioned is a facet of the human experience. And in a very real sense, I said, I am talking about one, one thing, one topic. It just happens to be a really big topic, uh, and it's about us and our relationship yeah. to ourselves and to the world and to the past and one another and to the future. And then he said, well, let's take a station break. <laughs> and then we came back and, and did the rest of the interview. So my work, it does touch on many facets of our experience because we don't live in a vacuum. That's the world that we live in. And that's one of the reasons I love working with you, Nicole, because you are doing such a, a beautiful job of taking uh, a message that for some people is, is a new way and a very different way of thinking and sharing this in a responsible way across the airwaves. And I appreciate that. I just appreciate it tremendously. Well, I, we, you know, like I said, we really value your work and your piece, and I'm extremely interested to get your overall perspective. That's where I'd like to start is, you right. know, if the world's very different than we 
it was when we last talked. We were kind of on this exciting ascension of connection, and, you know, you were showing videos of tumors disappearing in 60 seconds. We're all very happy and excited, and woo, and we thought we'd be in a different place by now. Um, it's mm. got this overall view of things kind of going off the rails in the mainstream, and I thought we were further ahead, evolved consciously, and, you know, perspective on where we are in the world with in the spirit and consciousness connections. How would you sum it sure. up in, in that view? Yeah, you know, it's. <clears throat> I was just reading um, uh, a history summary of the, the last 200 years of, uh, of our experience. And what many historians now uh, are suggesting, they embrace that the 20th century, <clears throat> they're saying, was a century of what they're, they're calling a century of discovery. Okay, so, you know, the big discoveries of physics, uh, classical physics, quantum physics, uh, subatomic particles, DNA, uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls, the Nag Hammadi Library, the oldest records of the New Testament, the Nag Hammadi, and, and uh, you know, space exploration. It was a century of exploration, and it revealed many things to us. And the 21st century, they say, where we are right now, is we are on a very steep learning curve of discovering what, where those discoveries fit in our lives. How do we apply what we now know to be true in our everyday lives? And I think the world is reflecting that. Uh, right now, Nicole, I, I, I trust, personally, I trust in the process. Uh, the world is a different place than I expected that we would be in, on the one hand. And on the other hand, the indigenous people that I've talked to and worked with, uh, many of the ancient texts, they say within the first 25 years of, of this new century, they said we won't even recognize our, our lives and our world anymore. And I, I think, you know, we're seeing that happen. So we're, we're learning about ourselves and our relationship to the world based upon new discoveries. And this is what I'm writing about. The, the new book, <clears throat> well, the newest book, that is on the market right now that, that you have access to is called Resilience from the Heart. There's actually another book that will be released October of this year called, uh, the title is Human by Design. And both of these books are based upon peer-reviewed science. So it's rock-solid science, uh, not necessarily my opinion or my perspective or my hypotheses or my theories, but this is the new science, Nicole, that is changing the way we think about ourselves and our relationship to the world. On the one hand, and on the other hand, there is, I'm just going to say there is not only a reluctance, but there is a resistance to sharing a lot of this new information in the mainstream because it, it overturns 150 years of scientific thinking and the, and the story that we tell ourselves. We are steeped in this scientific story that's based upon separation, uh, scarcity, competition, and conflict. And the new discoveries are telling us that we live in a, in a world of cooperation. Nature is based upon cooperation, not competition, and that we are deeply connected to ourselves and one another. And the science is showing us just how deep these connections go. So that is the, the theme for both of the new books, and the one that you just mentioned, Resilience from the Heart, uh, is just that. It is about the new discoveries uh, of specialized cells in the human heart that allow us uh, a direct access to our bodies in ways that we've never thought possible in the past. We thought only mystics and yogis uh, and special adepts could do something like this, and now it's becoming available to everyday people. So that's a long answer to a short question. I trust in the process in the world, uh, and what I think we're seeing is an unfolding of 
understandings of what is sustainable or what's not, what works, what doesn't. And what we're finding is a lot of the way we've been taught to think is no longer sustainable. And so we're the generation that's bridging these new discoveries and learning to apply them in our world. And I can't think of a more exciting time to be alive. I'm sure many of your other speakers are probably saying something very similar. So, uh, so again, that's a long answer to a short question, and I'll follow your lead, and we can go anywhere we want to go from there. It is a very exciting time for sure. And I think you nailed it right in the first half of your first sentence in response was that, you know, um, before we were learning about these things, now it's, it's essentially, I'm paraphrasing obviously, but it basically we have to start doing what we've learned. Yeah. Start yeah. being it. Well, you know, that's the thing. You, what's happening is uh, in the mid-1800s, you know, uh, when I began talking about the discoveries of Charles Darwin and, uh, you know, many of the, the physicists that were uh, making discoveries in, in the late 1800s, people say to me, Greg, we're in the 21st century. What difference could those things possibly make? And it's a really good question, and the answer surprises a lot of people. Yes, we are in the early 21st century, a, a sophisticated, highly technological world, and the society that we find ourselves in and the way we have been conditioned to think about jobs, about industry, about our relationship to the earth, about personal relationships, uh, the economy, corporations, <clears throat> all of those things, those ideas, those foundations were created in the mid to late 1800s. So we are steeped in a story based upon the science of the late uh, 1800s, and now the new science is overturning many of those beliefs. So knowing that we live in a world of cooperation, uh, for example, rather than uh, competition, that nature is actually based in, in cooperation, our economic systems were based upon competition and conflict based on the science of the 1800s, and that's why the economies of the world are in chaos right now. We're seeing the Brexit in the Middle East. We're seeing the European Union uh, face a possible breakdown. We're looking at, at the kind of debt. Here's a question, Nicole. I, this is fascinating. We've all seen nations in debt in the past, and it's common for another nation or a group of nations to bail them out. What happens when the the debt of the entire planet is greater than what the entire planet is producing. When, when the GDP of the entire planet is less than the debt that we've accumulated, who bails out an entire planet? And I don't know the answer to that. We're about to find out because that's where we are right now. The, the uh, uh, industrialized nations have accrued so much debt that can never be paid back. That affects everything from uh, you know the, the way that we save for retirement, the way we save for our kids' education, our health care, all of those things. So they're, they're breaking down because they are based on principles that are simply not true. We don't live in a world of competition and conflict. We, we see those things. I mean, we have to be real, though we definitely witness competition and conflict in the world. And what the scientists now are telling us is the more of that competition and conflict that we see in the world, the further we have strayed from the natural laws and the more difficult it is for us to find our balance. So for me, personally, I'm a scientist. I was trained as, as an earth scientist, a geologist. And I know some of your other guests and dear friends of mine, Dr. Bruce Lipton, for example, and, and Dr. Joe Dispenza, uh, we all look to nature for the model of, uh, of helping us to understand our relationship to ourselves and to the world and, and how to build a healthy family and a healthy community and healthy societies. Uh, so if we look to nature, 
nature is showing us a very different model than what we have in place right now. And, and we're seeing, I think, the, the world is going through the, the throes of the changes to, to try to get back to more of those natural states of balance. And that's what the, the book, Resilience from the Heart, is all about. Uh, because one of the discoveries, and we mentioned this briefly in another interview, one of the discoveries that has just rocked the, the world of uh, the, the medical world, the world of biology, is the discovery of 40,000 specialized cells uh, in the human heart uh, that were simply not recognized in the capacity that they are right now. They are called sensory neurites, uh, and that's a, a technical term. They're essentially brain-like cells, but they're not in the brain. They're in the heart. So these are, these are the kind of cells you would expect to see in the cranial brain, but they're in the heart. And the reason this is important is because these cells think independently of the cells in our brain. They feel independently of the cells in our brain, and they remember independently of the cells in our brain. So every experience we've had in our lives, essentially it's recorded in two places. It's recorded in our brain and the way our brain interprets it, and we know about that. It's in, recorded in our heart and the way our heart interprets these experiences through these 40,000 cells uh, that have created a neural network that is literally called, literally, it's called the little brain in the heart is the term that's wow. being used now. So as now that we know these cells exist, as we're learning to access them, they open the door to uh, extraordinary abilities that I personally believe are actually ordinary abilities that we've either lost or forgotten. Uh, and when we can embrace these abilities in our lives, uh, it helps us to embrace change in the world in a healthy way. So if we ever needed a time uh, or if we never needed uh, some help in embracing a, a tremendous change happening in the world, now I think is the time to do that because we are undergoing such, such a radical shift in, in the world that we've known in the past. So this, this is uh, the, the theme. But the new book, in the very first chapter, you asked about the, the two books. There was a book that was released, I think it was 2015 or 2014. It was called The Turning Point, and it was a good book. It put many of the personal applications and the direct experience and the exercises that help people in their lives, they were in the back of the book. And one of the things that I've learned, Nicole, I'm, I'm a student of learning to listen. I'm still learning, uh, and I work very diligently in listening to my audience and to our global audience. And what people all over the world said, they said, we want to get to that stuff faster. We want to get to the stuff that's going to help us in our everyday lives, direct experience, techniques, tools, applications. So I moved all of that to the front, and I added the new material and the new discoveries that simply were not available when I had written the book two years previous. So it's uh, new material uh, covering these 40,000 neurites, how we access them, uh, and what it means in a, in a changing world, and that is what sets those two books uh, apart from one another. Does that make it's sense so, if I say it that way? <laughs> it's so interesting. I um, Decades ago, I interviewed Joseph Shilton Pierce, you know, cracking the cosmic egg, and he was saying all along, you know, from for years and years and years that the real brain power was in the heart, and we've heard so many people refer to that. So when was this recent study you're referring to, when was that uh, published? Well, first, I've had the honor of uh, knowing, touring, and presenting with uh, Joseph Chilton Pierce, and he mm -hmm. was working very closely with the Institute of Heart Math, H-E-A-R-T, uh, yeah. capital M-A-T-H, all, all one word. This is the pioneer 
pioneering research organization based in Northern California that, that explores the power of the human heart in uh, unconventional ways, in ways that typically aren't done in, in the universities and in, in the medical schools, uh, but based in science, in, in peer-reviewed science. So uh, I had the opportunity of, of touring with Joseph Chilton Pierce during, during the years when a lot of this information was being developed. The discovery was made in 1991. It wasn't published until 1994. And even though, this is fascinating for, for me, even though it, it, it was published in 94 and it is now documented, it's peer-reviewed science is documented, it is still not being taught in major medical institutions. And I just came last, last weekend, I just came from uh, a, a large conference, and it's very common for us to have uh, medical professionals and healing professionals and scientists and engineers in the audience, along with, you know, with uh, everyone else, the spiritual seekers. Uh, they all come together because this material touches on so many different facets of our experience. And I had medical students in the audience, and they were saying, "Why don't we know about this? Why aren't we? Why isn't this being taught in medical school?" And, and I, I said, "You know, I can't answer that question." But you're here now, and, and now you know about it. So, but it changes. It changes everything. When we talk about this little brain in the heart, and people say, "Well, you know, is it really a brain?" It is a. It's a collection of cells that are concentrated into a network, a neural network, smaller but very similar to what we see in the brain. And we've learned to use the brain independently. We know that. Now we know that we can use the heart independently. And we also know now that we can harmonize, we can literally tune the heart and the brain together. So two separate organs, but there is one very potent neural network to give us access to extraordinary experiences like uh, deep intuition on demand when we choose to have it rather than uh, spontaneously, you know, when it just happens to occur. It gives us direct access to the subconscious. It's a hotline to the subconscious without hypnosis and without, uh, you know, listening to a special tape. Or I mean, you can do all those things, but sometimes they're not available. So direct access to the subconscious, and this is important for people who are, are using affirmations because an affirmation of healing or health or uh, relationship or uh, career success or self-esteem uh, or abundance or any of those kinds of things, they can only be effective when we are communicating with the subconscious. And if, if we simply say these things in our mind, but we're not accessing our subconscious, uh, they may not have the effect that, that we hope that they have. So this harmonizing of the heart and the brain uh, is a direct, it literally is a hotline into the subconscious to make those kinds of things more effective. Harmonizing the heart and the brain is a trigger for a, a extra powerful, super immune response. Um, and I can speak for my colleagues, my dear spiritual brothers and, and friends that I've toured with, such as uh, Bruce Lipton and Joe Dispenza. We use these tools or we couldn't, we couldn't tour the world with the kinds of schedules we have if we didn't have really powerful immune systems and, and the ability to regulate these things. So we apply these in our own lives. It's also a trigger for the anti-aging hormones that every one of us has in our bodies. It's also a, tr a trigger for reducing stress and creating more resilience in our lives in time of change. So all of a sudden, knowing that we have access to these cells and that we can harmonize our heart and our brain and our brain together so they can work together, the act of doing this, that single act opens the door to this vast array of applications, whether it's intuition on demand or, you know, the... Uh 1,300 biochemical reactions, positive biochemical reactions, uh, and we can do this. This is what's 
what makes us so very powerful. We now know that we are the only species known so far that can trigger these and uh, initiate these relationships on demand. Other forms of life may be able to do it naturally, but we can consciously say in this moment in time, I choose to initiate a state of deep intuition. And that covers everything from precognition, you know, knowing about something before it's going to happen, to being able to communicate with other forms of life, with uh, other mammals. A lot of research is being done with uh, using the heart to communicate with other forms of life. Um, it just goes on and on. So I'm sharing, we're just scratching the tip of the iceberg here. This opens mm-hmm. an entire new door of possibilities for these experiences that help us in everyday life uh, that we in the past believed were, were relegated only to mystics and, and yogis, you know, living isolated uh, lives on a mountaintop half a world away. We can do this stuff in our living room. And the science now is telling us how it works and our most cherished and ancient spiritual traditions are telling us uh, how to apply these things in our lives. This is where these two come together in, in a really beautiful way. How do we access and utilize these brain cells in the heart? And have you actually engaged in any of these experiments with anyone around that? Sure. Well, the first of all, I'll say the instructions I give, uh, they're very detailed instructions that are in uh, the book Resilience from the Heart. Uh, The science has been validated. A lot of the science comes from uh, the Institute of Heart Math and the work they've done over the last 20, I'm sure it's more than 20 years now, that they have perfected in the laboratory under laboratory conditions. My experience with indigenous people is that they have initiated techniques that parallel what the science is now developing. And and I think if something is true, I think you're going to see it show up in a lot of different ways. So the fact that science is now catching up, science is only about 300 years old. These indigenous traditions, spiritual traditions, many of them are 5,000 years old. So science is catching up with what our ancestors and what many indigenous traditions have have always told us. So since 1986, I've had the opportunity to, to be... Uh, with our indigenous family in many different settings, and the monks and nuns and the abbots in the monasteries in Tibet and Nepal and India and through the Andes Mountains, Bolivia and Peru and the, the monasteries in Egypt and all through the American Desert Southwest and the Yucatan and Mexico and, and more. And as different as they are from one another, Nicole, what's so fascinating is that there are common themes that flow through every one of these traditions, even though they're spread through different times, different environments, different parts of the world. And when I'm working with the healers and the curandaros and the shaman, uh, the shamans in these traditions, one of the first things they do before they begin whatever their practice is, is they begin to access their heart. And that's precisely where the science is leading right now. So the techniques are techniques of focus, of breathing, physically being able to draw the attention from our mind into our heart. This is, I think, probably one of the hardest things for people in the West to do. If I ask someone uh, in a, a Western environment, in a corporate environment, and if I, I ask them, if I invite them to shift their awareness from their mind into their heart, they'll say, okay, okay, I'm in my heart now. What's next? And I'll say, well, you know, are you really in your heart? And they say, you know, well, how do you know? And this is where uh, where these techniques from the indigenous people really come in handy. One, for example, and I'll just share one of the techniques that they share, is if we can touch, gently touch our heart center, the center of our chest, right there uh, on the sternum. Gently touch that in a way that's comfortable for us. Some people use uh, uh, their middle finger and their ring finger, and they just simply... Uh, touch touch their uh, 
right on the bone, right there, right over the heart. I'm doing it right now as if you could see me, and here we are on, on the radio, so <laughs> we're not. But some people in some traditions in the Middle East, for example, they use an entire open palm, and they place that palm over the center of their chest, over their hearts. And they do the same thing uh, in the Yucatan in southern Mexico. They do the same thing. Uh, the point here is the, uh, the Buddhists. Buddhists will make the prayer mudra that we're all familiar with, and, and then they hold that prayer mudra with their, their thumbs right against uh, the center of their chest. And, and this is what all of these traditions are doing, is they are physically touching their heart center. And here is the reason why that's important. You're now tuned in to Nicole Whitney's News for the Soul Highlights life-changing spotlights she has shared with leading teachers in the human consciousness field since 1997. Go now to com to hear the full shows totally free. That's newsforthesoul.com. Our awareness, our conscious awareness will always go to the place in our body where we feel a physical sensation. So when we physically touch our heart center in, in one of these ways, our awareness automatically goes to the place where, the, where that sensation is, and that is one of the, the techniques that the indigenous people use to move their awareness from their thinking mind into their feeling heart. So I'm, I'm just using that as an example. Uh, and then the, the breathing techniques that, that come after uh, that are now validated, we have equipment, technology that we can hook people up to uh, specialized pieces of software and uh, be able to actually see the effect uh, in their bodies that are, have, that, that are occurring from making these connections. So we can talk more about that if, if you'd like to. I uh, don't know how far you want to go with all of this. Um, well, down the rabbit hole. Yeah, absolutely. This is new to us all. I'll just remind people listening, if you missed it, uh, you mentioned heart math. I talked to Howard Martin, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, and that's in the archives at newsforthesoul.com. And it's funny, you know, when you hear things in threes, uh, this independently, this general topic about the power, true power of the heart has come up three times independently in three different ways for me this week. So I know this is important. And Ultimately, tying it back into current world events would be awesome. But tell us what's next. What's next? Where? At where you wanted to go. Oh, <laughs> well, <laughs> you just uh, you just mentioned Howard Martin. Howard is uh, I met Howard uh, because of Heart Math in the early 1990s, and I, I trained directly with Howard Martin, uh, who is one of the the founders of the Institute of Heart Math. Uh, mm-hmm. And I've had the opportunity to to tour the world. We have been on stages everywhere, and, and now I can call him a dear friend as well. So many of the things that I am saying here, from my perspective, Howard and the Institute of Heart Math have given me permission as an independent author to share my experience and my perspective uh, integrating their work at the same time. So where I've had more uh, experience with indigenous people and how indigenous people throughout the, the different traditions, how they have learned to apply this in our lives, uh, Howard and the research team, the, the rock-solid science behind this stuff, uh, from their institute in, in Northern California, they come at it from a little bit different perspective when they're training you know, in a corporate environment uh, or with the U.S. military or something like that. But the bottom line for both is that we're getting people into their hearts. And that means different things to different people, Nicole. Our, we were conditioned, if we were educated in the West, and I'm assuming most of our, our listeners may not be in North America but have a Western education, we've been taught that the brain is the master organ of the body. 
And we all know the brain is important. Of course, it regulates uh, hormones. It regulates, uh, you know, the temperature in our body and a lot of the rhythms and the cycles and the functions within our bodies. But what we now know is the brain receives the instructions that tell it what to do. Many of those instructions come directly from the heart. Uh, every moment of every day, there is this conversation between our heart and our brain. It's happening right now for everyone listening. There's a conversation. I'll, I'll just speak directly to our listeners. Listeners, there's a conversation happening right now between your heart and your brain. Uh, your heart is having a big conversation with your brain through the vagus nerve. It's sending a lot of information through this, this thick nerve bundle into your brain. Your brain speaks to the heart less. It, it can. It's not as big of a conversation, and it's coming primarily through the spinal column, uh, down through the back of the brain and, and then down through the, uh, the nerves in the spinal, the spinal cord. So we're always having this conversation. The question is, do we know what we're saying? Do we know what it is that our heart is saying to our brain? And that is the core of these new discoveries and the ancient traditions. Uh, and it's by learning to focus in our heart, to breathe in specific ways, and to feel very specific kinds of feelings that we set up uh, a dialogue. And the dialogue can be measured electrically. It's a very low frequency, uh, 0.1 hertz, not even one, 0.1 hertz is the frequency that's optimum between the heart and the brain. So when we can focus on our hearts, breathe a little slower than usual, signaling safety to our bodies by breathing a little bit slower than usual, and we can begin feeling positive, what I would call, I don't like to judge feelings, but it's what we call positive feelings, such as gratitude, uh, appreciation, care, compassion. Those are, are four big ones that the, the scientists have found work for most people almost 100% of the time. So if you can choose one of those, gratitude, appreciation, care, or compassion, uh, this combination of events, the breathing, the focus, uh, and the feeling, and this is key, when we can feel one or some combination of those four feelings, our body interprets that uh, as uh, this electrical signal from the heart to the brain. And the optimum signal is 0.1 hertz, and when we can establish 0.1 hertz, we can feel the feelings of 0.1 hertz between our heart and our brain, we are said to be in high heart-brain coherence. And that heart-brain coherence is the key to everything that we're talking about here. So in, in the new book that you mentioned, Resilience from the Heart, uh, I, first chapter we talk about the new discovery, the cells, 40,000 specialized cells, and then throughout the book uh, what this means and how we apply it in our lives through various exercises. So that's, uh, that's the essence of what that book is all about. So are feelings the key, the doorway? You know, it's interesting. They are not exclusively the key. They are an important component that's been discounted in our culture. For most, uh, you know, most people, we, we have feelings and emotions and experiences, and we've been conditioned to discount them to a large extent until recently. People in their 50s and 60s right now remember when we were taught that, you know, you know your feelings aren't, you know, they're not really real. I mean, it's just, it's just a feeling is what they used to tell us. You know, it was discounted. Now we know that the feeling uh, is a powerful component in these indigenous traditions. And, and interestingly, uh, Nicole, the very texts of our most cherished spiritual traditions, the Western Bible, for example, uh, and some of the Eastern traditions, when they were edited and there were pieces that were removed uh, or condensed, what was taken out was the information that tells us the power of human emotion. So, for example, in the, the, uh, the Christian Bible, the New Testament, uh, what the, the New Testament, and this isn't about religion, this is about uh, instructions. This is about uh, the masters of the past 
informing their students of the deep relationship that their students had within themselves and with the world around them. And those were based upon spiritual principles. Uh, the religions came along later and wrapped the rules and the dogma around those fundamental spiritual principles for control. But before the religions ever existed, those principles were already there, and so that's why I'm mentioning this. So, for example, New Testament, uh, we know at least 43 books were removed uh, in the 4th century by the Emperor Constantine. Uh, and what we see today is the, the reduced, rearranged, condensed version. Uh, it's good, but it isn't complete. And we know that because the Nag Hammadi Library, discovered uh, in the mid-1940s, revealed for the first time the original, uh, well, all the text in their original form. And among those was uh, a book called The Gospel of Thomas. So the Gospel of Thomas uh, contains very specific instructions for the kinds of things that we're talking about that were simply removed from, uh, from the biblical canon, from the, the modern Bible in the 4th century, telling us about the power of human emotion and how to use that emotion uh, you know, for healing in our lives. So that's one example of where we've known this in the past, uh, and then for a number of reasons, that knowledge was taken from uh, one of our most cherished spiritual traditions, and now it's being reintroduced from, from the language of science. So the, the power of human emotion uh, is what establishes that point one hertz uh, relationship between the heart and the brain. You can be in your heart and not have the heart-brain relationship, and, and that is another technique. Sometimes we don't need that full heart-brain relationship. Sometimes we can simply focus in our hearts uh, through touching our heart center, the way that I mentioned, and through breathing techniques that slow, uh, slow our breathing so that we know that we're, we're in a place that's safe. Uh, and there are sometimes, for certain kinds of intuition, the technique stops there. That's all you need. And if you want to go deeper and initiate some of the healing techniques and things like that, uh, then you can establish that heart-brain coherence. Also, it has been found to be very effective. Uh, I just want to ask, have you, I'm assuming you've had Joe Dispenza on your program. Have you had Joe on recently? Yes, not recently. I haven't talked to him in a few years, but yes, he's been on as well. Okay, well, one, one of the things, and the reason I asked, Dr. Joe Dispenza is a uh, neuroscientist, talks about neuroplasticity and, and the way the brain can change. One of the... Uh,